As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome back to the show. Justin Briley sitting down once again with Alistair McGrath, a renowned theologian and world authority on C.S. Lewis, one of the most significant Christian thinkers and writers of the 20th century. We're currently going through some of Lewis's significant apologetics and devotional Christian works and today we'll be exploring Surprised by Joy written in 1955 C.S. Lewis's spiritual autobiography very much detailing his early life his conversion experience Alistair will be drawing out the lessons his life can give us today and uh, I can highly recommend also as a compliment to this is uh, the recently released film The Most Reluctant Convert uh, where Lewis is played by Max McLean it's directed by Norman Stone. It's an absolutely wonderful film. Uh, and uh, if you if you get a chance to get hold of it, it's very much the, the film version of Surprised by Joy. Um, thanks, by the way, to a listener who left this review of the podcast. Um, they said, I read Mere Christianity after coming to Christ and being very sentimental. I'm super stoked about this podcast. Um, it's already amazing. No doubt I'll be regularly listening. Thank you very much. If you can rate and review us, it helps others to discover the show as well. Just a reminder, you can find out all about the show uh, and you can get links to all of our other resources, videos, now articles and much more besides at our brand new website, premierunbelievable.com. It's a one-stop shop for all things theology and apologetics and our growing stable of shows. Alistair, of course, one of our keynote speakers at Unbelievable Conference this year as well. Uh, you can find out more about that at unbelievable.live. But if you can be with us on Saturday, the 14th of May, we'll be broadcasting live from the British Library in London, really a cultural heritage site in the UK. Wonderful to be doing it from this historic location. Uh, we'd love you there as we talk about how we unmute God in our culture today. Can the church find its authentic voice again? I believe it can. And we've got some great speakers for you, um, a really diverse range of people joining us this year. So go and check those out uh, at the event website, unbelievable.live. And why don't you make sure you're there with us in person or online? Um, you can even get as part of that. The evening part of the conference is a wonderful live event from the big conversation. Renowned brain psychologist, Dr. Ian McGilchrist and Christian neuroscientist Sharon Dirks in conversation on the mind and its master. It's going to be an absolute treat. Uh, I'm really excited about it so links to both the new website premierunbelievable.com and to our event website unbelievable.live are with today's show looking forward to seeing and interacting with many people as that day approaches for now let's get into today's edition of the show Well, we're continuing our look through the various works of Lewis, sort of in chronological order. Some of the ones we haven't had a chance in the podcast yet to cover. 
Um, though, of course, various books uh, by Lewis have been referenced and probably today's one as well at various points uh, over the course of the, the shows that you've recorded, both with myself and Ruth Alistair. Surprised by Joy um, is Lewis's autobiography. Um, I've got to confess, uh, before I knew a bit more about Lewis, I, I, I knowing just a little bit about Lewis, knowing that he had you know, obviously had a relationship and been married to Joy Gresham. Uh, before I actually came to read this book, I assumed that that was a reference to, to Joy Gresham. It is not, of course. This book was written, I think, really before he began that relationship. Is is that correct? Yes, the book, the book really goes back to, I think, 1948, when he began to write it, and he finished it about 1955. And then he met Joy Gresham after that. So, yes, there is a joy that runs throughout the book, but it's not Joy Gresham. It's, it's something rather different. Well, look, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe um, talk about the, the fact that it obviously took longer than most books that he wrote to, to write. Um, uh, but but you say it's had this this beginning in 1948. Uh, had he been asked to write this autobiography? Was it something he, he took on himself? Where, where did the idea come from? Well, I think the idea was to um, respond to as many readers who asked for an account of his transition from atheism to Christianity. I mean, The Problem of Pain has an introduction which talks a little bit about this, but I have to say it doesn't answer all the questions. I think Lewis had a, a lot of correspondence saying, please tell us more, and eventually felt, well, why not? And um, it took quite a long time to, to develop this because he had to uh, call in some letters to uh, check out some facts and things like that. Um, but certainly um, it is very interesting book because it, it is a kind of spiritual autobiography but it's not just i did this and i did this and i did this it's much more lewis's encounter of a discussion of his encounter with god and the effect this had on him and certainly he deals with some intellectual issues along the way but it's not simply a narrative about lewis discovering god it's about god encountering lewis and Lewis tries to bring these two things together in the work, which is one of the reasons why it's so interesting. And it's beautifully written in points. It, it, the language, in effect, drags you along. It's very, very um, carefully written, uh, particularly in relation to some of his childhood memories. Yes, yeah, so to sort of give us a sense of sort of where, where it begins, what readers can expect to find as they, as they start the book and, and sort of where it culminates ultimately. Well, it begins in a very ordinary way. Lewis says, well, I was born in Belfast. Um, my, my father was a solicitor and various things like that. And it's terribly ordinary. And then Lewis begins to talk about his love of books. Um, his realization of the importance of the imagination. And he tells us that, you know, that the imaginative experience of those childhood years now seems to me to be really the most important thing of all, because it opened, it opened his mind and his soul to a deeper vision of reality than what he actually encountered in the world around him. And it does describe the gradual erosion of whatever religious faith he had as a child. And then over a long extended discussion, how this came back. And the theme of being surprised by joy is, is really very, very interesting because it's all about um, Lewis expecting things to work out in one way. And yet his life kind of moved in directions he did not expect and did not want because he did make it quite clear I think that he he saw God as being the great interferer someone who would kind of mess him around or lead him in paths he didn't want to go to he wanted to be in control 
and then gradually discovered that actually things did not work out the way he'd expected. I mean, as you as someone who has done a, an in-depth biography of Lewis, obviously a, an autobiography is indispensable to, to being able to, to trace Lewis's own journey in, in his own view. But how, how accurately do you think he actually reflected that journey when you then go and compare it to all of the source material you have at your fingertips in terms of his letters and other writings and, you know, the journals that other people had at the time? Um, do, do you think Lewis sort of accurately captured his, his journey um, from atheism to, to faith? I think there are points where um, his dating doesn't seem to be quite right. He, he's out by a couple of months here, a year there, and various things like that. Uh, and indeed, I, I personally think that he has misremembered the date of his conversion. I don't think that's particularly important, but uh, Lewis is well known to have been unreliable about dates in his life. I think that's a very important point to make. But the key point I think to make is that um, Lewis's account of the issues he was wrestling with and the way in which he resolved them does map well onto what we know about him through his other writings. And there are some other things in, in Surprised by Joy which are a bit puzzling. One of them is that it's very, very clear from Lewis's correspondence back in the um, uh, 1930s that um, J.R.R. Tolkien played a major role in Lewis's conversion to Christianity. But in Surprised by Joy, this is kind of way de-emphasized in a rather curious way. So I'm not quite sure what that was all about. It may be that at this time, Lewis and Tolkien were not as friendly as they had once been. But certainly the, there, there are some points where you just feel we aren't being told the full story. But the overall trajectory, I think, is reliable. Yes, uh, and it is a fascinating read to see the journey that he goes on, this intellectual journey, this imaginative journey, uh, and putting all the pieces together as, as he goes along. Um, and, and just coming back to the title of the book, why, what, what, what is it that Lewis means by this joy? Because there's this sort of thread throughout the book where he traces these encounters with what he calls joy. What, what did he mean by that? Well, he's picking up on a um, quote from um, Wordsworth. Of course, Lewis loved Wordsworth as someone who taught English literature. It's surprised by joy, impatient as the wind. And um, what Wordsworth really meant by that is that um, sometimes you experience joy in, in situations or contexts which are unexpected. And Lewis moves this on slightly different direction. Lewis understands joy to mean something like a heartbreaking feeling of longing for something that you think is ultimately unattainable. And then you're surprised because the joy you realized you could never find by yourself comes to find you. And it's a, it's a beautiful way of describing the whole idea of grace in conversion, that something you believed to lie beyond reach actually is brought close to you, not by your efforts, but by the grace of God. And it's a very important point because Lewis will keep using this idea of joy to refer to this, this sense of there being something beyond our grasp in which is ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment, and we cannot get there by ourselves. And yet when we get there, it really turns out to be everything we had hoped for. So if you like, it's almost like going back to his Pilgrim's Regress of nine, you know, uh, 20 years earlier, where in effect Lewis is talking about um, feeling drawn to this mysterious island. And once he 
discovers this, everything is transformed. And that's the, that's the plot line of Surprise by Joy. But there is much more autobiographical detail, and it's beautifully written, whereas um, The Pilgrim's Regress is a bit clunky at times. Mm, yes. I, I mean, you, you get these stabs of joy, as he calls them, sort of coming through when, you know, in his pre-Christian life, he, he read... Uh, poetry or um great literature that that just spoke to that side of him and and i think what you see in in the in surprise by joy is is the fact that he kind of lived this double life almost you know on the one hand being this analytical sort of atheist you know materialist and yet he's what he's really passionate about what really you know engages him is is this mythical world this this realm you know of the imagination spelled out by ancient the medieval authors and, and so on the greek playwrights and 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 that that he glimpses this joy there now some people you know at one level might say well you know surely we can only experience joy through through jesus through you know orthodox christian means but but lewis seems to suggest no joy joy is there bubbling away in all kinds of places and 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 it's ultimately yes you may find that the source is ultimately god made known through jesus christ but but it, that it's sort of it's present and, and anyone almost will run into this at some point whether they call themselves a christian or not i think that's right i mean i often think of that line from gerald manley hopkins christ play in ten thousand places in other words there's an experience something is happening and you may not realize it for what it really is but when you get there you look back and say that is what brought me and that is where Christ was present. In other words, um, you might not be conscious of the fact that Christ is there. That's something you realize afterwards. But looking back on it, you can see that this is a moment at which Christ was taking hold of you and moving you towards God. So I think Lewis is here really trying to describe how God, I mean, Lewis uses the phrase, shoots arrows of joy at us, both to pique us to, to to make us realize there's a bigger world and also make us realize we cannot find it or enter it on our own and that again is why the motif of surprised is so important because you realize that on your own you can't do this but you are surprised and delighted that god is able to do this for you what was the reception to the book uh, both in terms of the audience it was aimed at but you've said that his popular level writings weren't always well received by his colleagues at Oxford um, and and I don't know perhaps I could imagine that someone sort of writing quite in a sense openly about their own life might have you know been viewed a bit sniffily by by some in his circle what 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 was the response on that front well it's very interesting because Lewis um, published this book actually quite late in 1955 and by that time Lewis was no longer at Oxford he'd moved to Cambridge or at least he was uh, at Cambridge University even though he, he continued to live in his old house in Oxford but he was no longer part of Oxford University and I often get the impression that actually Lewis moving to Cambridge gave him a sense of intellectual freedom. He was no longer accountable to his Oxford colleagues who very often disapproved of what he was doing. So it's almost as if he's saying, I am now in a different place. I can write books I could not write before. And Surprised by Joy is a very good example of exactly that. Lewis is telling his own story in his own way and isn't really worried too much about what his Oxford colleagues would think about Lewis once remarked that, that writing this book helped him to make sense of his life. Um, do you think, you know, we can make more sense of our lives as well by, by, by doing this sort of recount, 
thinking through our own life and, and indeed reading Lewis's own journey. Well, I think that's right. I mean, um, I want sometimes wonder if Lewis is picking up on, on a phrase from Kierkegaard, who, who once said that uh, life must be understood backwards. In other words, you know, very often you do things or you pick up a book and you have no idea at the time what its significance is going to be. And then as your life progresses, you can see its significance. For example, uh, reading MacDonald's Fantasties. I mean, I don't think Lewis at the time realised what difference that book would make to him, but it opened his eyes and his imagination to a new new world. And so in Surprise by Joy, he's able to track not simply the beginning of this through George MacDonald, but also the way in which it actually works out in his life as a whole. Now, obviously, uh, Lewis is not telling his whole story. I think ends really about 1931 but in many ways what Lewis is, is doing is tracking the transitional point in his life and beginning to to see how many of the threads of his earlier life kind of are woven together in what happened and above all how if you like various clues pointing towards God begin to solidify and eventually bring him to the point of conversion so it's it's very very interesting and also of course Lewis is really trying to make the point that trying to make sense of your own lives is a very important thing and you can't really do it while you're in the middle of it. You have to kind of be able to look back and see how everything connects up. And Lewis really is writing, if, if you might may say so, a treatise on divine providence. This is how God surprised me and moved me, who, who once was an atheist, to being a Christian, because Lewis is quite clear that he wasn't doing this on his own. He was kind of being drawn and encouraged and supported by God as he journeyed along this road. Mm. Just, just because it's, and when you read the book, you'll be reminded that Lewis is. It wasn't just a sort of one moment sort of conversion. It was a sort of a. There were a few steps along the way that brought him to, if you like, full-blooded Christian orthodoxy. Just, just remind us what those stages were, kind of what, what the process was that took Lewis to this journey that eventually led to him obviously embracing Christianity in, in all its fullness, the incarnation and so on. Well, I think we can discern three stages. Um, obviously, Lewis was an atheist when he arrived at Oxford in 1919 to begin formal study at Oxford. But in the mid-20s, Lewis makes a throwaway remark, which is that actually... God as a kind of philosophical idea does make some sense. doesn't develop it, but it's, it's a throwaway line. But you begin to think Lewis is thinking about this, but he doesn't do anything with it, really. But then, of course, we have the moment so brilliantly described in Surprised by Joy, where Lewis is the most reluctant convert in all England, where, in effect, he is overwhelmed by a realisation of the reality of God. And Lewis dates that to the Trinity term of 1929, uh, which I, I don't think is right. I think it's actually Trinity term 1930, but it doesn't make any great difference. But the key point is Lewis moves to actively believing in God, but not specifically in Christianity. And Lewis makes it clear he can't quite see how Christ fits into this. You know, how, how does a man who once lived a long time ago kind of way fit into um, discovering God? And mm. then he has this remarkable conversation with Hugo Dyson and with uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, in which they explain to him the importance of narratives, of stories, of myths, uh, which captivate your imagination and disclose truth. And the key point Lewis realizes is Christianity tells a story. And it's a story of God, 
and Christ is integral to that story and that story enfolds Lewis as well and that really is about Lewis moving from Christ, from belief in God to Christianity and so that that takes place I think again we're not quite clear exactly when but by 1931 it's complete you know and it, when he writes uh, the book uh, Pilgrim's Regress um, the process is complete in many ways that's the story of what happened so there are a number of stages along the way and what is interesting is to see how Lewis um, in effect moves from simply believing in God to a more explicitly Christian way of thinking I've always wondered, given that it, it, as it says in the subtitle, the shape of my early life, it really is just the start of his Christian journey that that is being described in this book. And if he'd had the opportunity, do you think we would have had a sort of later sort of biography from Lewis of, of, you know, his continuing Christian experience in life? I I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, Lewis really felt he had to respond to his readers who were saying tell us how you became a christian and therefore the fact it ends about 1931 really is saying to us very clearly that is how i became a christian you know the rest of the story so you know uh, it's almost as if he's saying i don't really need to say anything very much more than that but i think mm. it is nevertheless a, a very very well written book because he's not simply dealing with the particularities of his own conversion he is in effect drawing his readers into this wider question of how does anybody discover god is it simply a human discovery or is god involved in this process and it's beautifully written it draws you in and it makes you feel you're part of a journey of discovery and what many people have said to me uh, and you probably have had similar conversations is that as i read this book i felt i was part of that story because so much of it rang true in my own experience well, if you want to move beyond 1931, there is, of course, your own book, Alistair, which I will give another plug for, C.S. Lewis, A Life, which, which obviously covers all of those years and more um, in terms of Lewis's thinking and influence and writing. But um, uh, it's been lovely to, to talk with you about it. Um, uh, what, what, what would you say, you know, would be the takeaway, both the, the things you like about this book specifically, the things that a reader will take away by picking up this book, Alistair? I think there are several things that really strike me. One, of course, is that Lewis was quite an aggressive atheist until the um, 1920s. And it, it is very, very encouraging to see how this atheist begins to move, begins to rethink and then discovers Christianity. And then, having been an atheist, is able to speak to other atheists because of his experience as a young man. So that's very important. But I think for me, what stands out is the beautiful use of language and the the way in which Lewis highlights how reading various Christian authors like Dante or particularly George Herbert really began to plant doubts in his mind about the self-sufficiency of an atheist way of thinking. In other words, he has this very famous passage where he says, you know, a, a young atheist has to be very careful about what he reads because there are traps everywhere. And that, I think, is very interesting. But of course, I think the final point to make very simply is that Lewis shows us how telling a story allows him to engage with deep theological and philosophical questions, but in a way that's both accessible and interesting. Well, thank you for taking us on a, a guided tour of Lewis's journey in Surprised by Joy. Um, as you say, 
uh, published and sort of wor- worked on since the, the, you know the 1940s, but published in 1955, and will be carrying on chronologically next week with another Lewis book, obviously written during his time at Cambridge. Um, reflections on the Psalms. Um, tell us a little bit about what we can expect from that next week. Well, one of the questions that people very often ask about Lewis is how important was the Bible for him and in what way did he use the Bible? And actually, Lewis, surprisingly perhaps, doesn't engage with the Bible directly as much as you might think. He engages with it indirectly through others who have read the Bible deeply and Lewis is picking up on them. But Reflections on the Psalms is actually very interesting because it's one of the rare books in which Lewis specifically chooses to engage with a book of the Bible. So it it opens up some very interesting questions, which is why so many people find it to be a very significant book. Well, we will hear all about it next week. For now, thank you very much for being with me, Alistair. It's been a very great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, next time, as we heard, Reflections on the Psalms, published in 1958. Somewhat unusual as Lewis's only book that directly comments on the Bible. Alistair will be explaining why Lewis chose to write about the Psalms and what lessons we can draw from it today. Do check out more from our new ministry website, premierunbelievable.com. You can support us there, find out about the range of shows and resources, and register for our newsletter. You'll get a free ebook if you do that. The links are with today's show. And don't forget, you can also register for Unbelievable, the conference 2022, coming up soon, Saturday, the 14th of May. Alistair, one of our keynote speakers, along with some brilliant guests. Uh, make sure you're there, unbelievable.live. For now, thanks for being with us, and see you next time.